Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. I'm going to read uh, from Hebrews 6, verse 13 to 20. Um, title of the sermon is Hope, Our Steadfast Anchor. Uh, yeah, just to give a bit of background again, uh, we came up to Joburg a year ago. We've live up in Robindale, and uh, I, uh, I'm one of the directors of a coffee company called Legado Coffee. We've been going for about eight years, and uh, in a strange set of events, here I am. Um, I'm grateful. The Lord has a plan. The Lord wants to do something. I, I'm just, you know, I, you know, Lauren preached an awesome message a few weeks ago in Santon about saying yes to God. Uh, I believe in that message, and I believe we have to say yes to God. I believe we have to follow him wherever he leads us. And uh, we're trying our best to do that. And I'm very excited. I'm, I'm super privileged to be standing here, to have this opportunity, and to have this opportunity to get to know everyone, and it'll take a while. But, um, but yeah, we're all on a journey together. We're a family. We're learning from God together. Uh, the word is super important to us. The Holy Spirit is super important to us. Um, those two things and people are super important to us. Uh, let me read the scripture and then we'll pray together. Hebrews 6, verse 13 to 20. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could not swear by, he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Blessing. Surely blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. And so, after he had patiently endured, Abraham, he had obtained the promise. He obtained the promise. For men swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise, the immutability, big word, means unchangeableness, of his counsel, Confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable, unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation or encouragement, who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us already, even Jesus, having become the high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Yes, Lord, we just thank you for your word today. We thank you that you've given us your word. We thank you, Lord. It's just such a blessing to us, Lord. We thank you that through your word we can get to know you more. We can get to understand our world. We can get to understand reality, Lord. Because your word speaks to us about your reality, God, which is our reality, Lord. And it opens our eyes. And this morning, Holy Spirit, I just thank you and, and just honor you. You are in our midst, and we are so grateful. And we just, we just honor you today. You are the one moving amongst us, growing the kingdom of God amongst us, speaking to us, comforting us, pushing us sometimes, encouraging us to, to run Holy Spirit, we, we acknowledge you in this place, and we thank you. Come in and just bring this word alive today, and uh, we just absolutely reliant on you. I am completely reliant on you, Lord. Come in and speak. Come and speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Okay. My plan was to read a few news headlines. I read some of them and I wasn't too convinced. They didn't give me what I wanted. Um, what I wanted to illustrate was just the uncertain world that we're living in at the moment. Um, I was quite surprised this week. I don't know where I was for the past two weeks, but I didn't realize that the rand had gone up to 13 rand 60 or something to the dollar again from when it was like 11 rand 60 just a few weeks ago. Um, just kind of highlighting the uncertain times that we're in. Uh, if we even bring it to our sport, we have no idea what the Springboks are going to do week to week, very uncertain. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty, even in our lives, uh, personally, there's a lot of uncertainty all the time. Um, we're going to speak a lot about that today. We're going to address it. Um, the question is, to what do we fix our hope? Uh, we all have hopes. We all have dreams. What do we fix them to? Uh, we know from our own experience, the water is moving, the storms are up, you know, it's not easy. Just in this uh, scripture, especially in the first couple of verses, it's about Abraham, it's about God bringing this promise into his life. Uh, it's a very interesting promise, there's a lot in it. Um, the specific uh, kind of extraction from the Old Testament here is from uh, Genesis 22, verse 15. It says, The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. Now, this is just after Abraham's got Isaac on the altar, about to do what God has told him to do, and, and God stopped him. And uh, this is just after that, the angel said to him, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And why? Because you have obeyed my voice. Um, I just want to give us a bit of context to the story of Abraham. I love history. You'll get to know that. I really enjoy church history. Love it. Um, that being said, for the past just over three years, uh, I've got a three-year-old boy, Luke, who was at Children's Church now, and Ava, who was with Cora. Um, for the past three and a half years, I haven't been able to read much. I haven't been able to play much music. That's why I'm super grateful to be, be able to play lots of music now. Um, but, uh, but history, I love history. I think history for me, just, uh, I don't know if anyone's done those Gallup's Strength Finder tests. Um, one of the five main kind of personality traits of mine is perspective. Super, super important to me to understand where we come from and also where we're going. This is a bit of an extract from an article, um, a great article, actually from a book called Perspectives, uh, by a missiologist, big word, he's a missions professional, I don't know, studies missions, studies missions through the ages, um, his name's Ralph D. Winter, and he wrote an article called The Kingdom Strikes Back, I really like it. Uh, the Ten Epochs of Redemptive History. 
I think some people might fall asleep during this next part. Um, Amazing. Listen to this. I'm just going to touch on a few things from the start of the article. It says, man has virtually erased his own story. Human beings, as far back as we have any paleological record, have been fighting each other so that they have destroyed well over 90% of their own handiwork. Their libraries, their literature, their cities, their works of art are mostly gone. Even the little that remains from the distant past is riddled with evidence that of a strange and pervasive evil that has grotesquely distorted man's potential. And I, well, there's no other species that treats its own with such deadly hatred. How insane is that? No other species. There's also, so there's this background of war. There's also an incredible array in history of disease germs that also cuts down population growth. Just fast-forwarding to Abraham's day, there's apparently an estimated 27 million people in the world in Abraham's day. Um, it's a very small, slow-growing population. Um, just going to skip a bit. War and pestilence. Both of those are just the relentless impact of the evil one. So we obviously trust the Bible. It's one of the oldest detailed written records. Uh, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, is respected by Jews, Christians, and Muslims. Uh, it explains a strange source of evil, but also describes a counter-campaign and then follows the progress of that campaign throughout the centuries. The first 11 chapters build up the story of a glorious God, an original creator, good creator, the entrance of a rebellious and destructive evil, a supernatural demonic person resulting in a humanity caught up in that rebellion and brought under the power of that evil person. So the Bible consists of a single drama, the entrance of the kingdom, and the power and the glory of the living God in this enemy-occupied territory. Um, just a bit of a backstory of Abraham in Abraham's day. I think in our day we forget almost uh, where we've come from in history, in the four to six thousand, you know, doc year documented history, at least of people, of humans. Um, we forget that in the beginning there was lots of war. You know, we look at a story of like. Cain and Abel, and we think, what were you guys doing, you know? <laughs> Your brothers kill each other. It's, this doesn't make sense to Well, when I read it the first time, it didn't make sense to me. Like, this is really harsh. Like, this is hectic. Um, but just understand, there was a lot of war. There was a lot of pestilence. Things have actually improved a lot. And to be honest, and we won't go into that today, but what's amazing to look at history is to actually know that, that God has been moving uh, throughout the, the past 6,000 years, let's say, 4,000 years. Um, he's been moving. He's been cutting down on war. <laughs> he's been improving health. Uh, it's actually amazing because that's God. That's God moving on his people. Um, I love the fact, and I didn't think about this before, and I don't know about you, but Abraham 
wasn't Jewish. I mean, I, that like blew my mind. He wasn't a Jew. There was no such thing as the Jews in Abraham's day. I don't know if that kind of like speaks to you, but he was just, he was just a guy. He was a Gentile. God spoke to him. And what did he do? He packed up his things and he moved on what God said. Um, what I love about it is, I think, or it seems to me, that God's plan wasn't to create a Jewish nation, or a nation, let's call it. God's plan was to create a people for himself, from Abraham, okay? The promise that he speaks over Abraham includes the nations. In Genesis 12, he says, And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Now, the article, I, I just pulled something from that uh, redemptive history, uh, Kingdom Strikes Back. It goes on to speak about missions throughout the ages and how from uh, Genesis 12, God expected the blessing to be uh, communicated to everyone, to all the nations. So missions were supposed to start then of that blessing. Insane. Insane. And then it goes on also about how even till today we've been very, very bad at carrying out that message, carrying out that mission, um, sharing the blessing with others. I, I, I was just blown away by that. You know, it sometimes feels to me we get caught up in the idea of a nation. I'm, I'm a bit of, bit of everything, um, mostly English. Uh, although I've married an Afrikaans school, I was in a mostly Afrikaans school and university. Uh, nation. Why, why is it so important to us? Why is nation, our nationality, or our Afrikaans, English, Zulu, Kosa, whatever we are, English, you know, from England, American, or why is it so important to us? You know, it doesn't make sense to me. I, I totally understand and I enjoy my culture. I am, you know, I kind of become my culture in any case. But I just think of this, this word right here, back then, where God is looking for a people, calling us out to become a people for him, calling us out to become a nation, let's say, but it's a people for God. And that nation is, it looks very different to what we think. If we want to know what that nation looks like, we only have to look into the book of Revelation, which I'd love to preach on sometime. Uh, every tribe and tongue and nation is there. It's awesome. Um, this promise. Yeah. Scary thought. Sometimes I feel like God says to a nation, this is enough, sorry. And he moves on. Or he does something to, to really force, force, force his hand a bit. Um, but he says to nations, it's not about you. It's not about you, nation. Um, it's about me. It's about a people for me. That's huge. It's really huge in world history at the moment. It's massive. It should change our mind. It should like really change our perspective a bit. Um, why is this promise so important? It's such an interesting promise. Uh, it's the only promise where, and this promise he said a few times over Abraham's kind of from Genesis 12 up to now. He's, he's repeated it a few times. But in this promise, he says, by myself, I have sworn. It's just, it's, it's, 
it speaks about this promise. It says this promise is important. This promise is actually integral, and the future of humanity is dependent on this promise. Look at the story. I, it's just something that, I, that I, when I was, because uh, I did have two quick sessions with Henny before the sermon, helped a lot. If any of you ever get the chance to preach, Lauren said I should do it. I did it. It worked. Just spend some time with Henny before you preach. Um, amazing. Genesis 22.8, it says, Abraham said, uh, Isaac asked his father, where is the lamb? And Abraham said, God will provide a lamb. He will provide for himself a lamb. I don't know if you hear what I'm saying, but it's, it really blows my mind. Abraham called, and, uh, where I want to blow your mind a bit more, is that Abraham looked and there was a ram in the thicket, Okay. Abraham found a ram, sacrificed a ram. Now, the story is pointing forward, obviously. Abraham called the place Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord provides. Abraham saw something in his heart that was not about that day. It was about a future day that we'll talk, talk about just now. Also, that mountain was Mount Moriah. Apparently, it leads to a lot of... A lot of Evidence is stacked up that it um, could be Mount Zion, same mountain. But I want you to see in this kind of promise, the gospel is in here. It's an incredible promise. Um, the blessing. Just quickly going to touch on that blessing that God is speaking about. It's an amazing and a key concept. The, the English word blessing is not ideal. Um, it's the same blessing that... Isaac confers over to Jacob and not on Esau. Um, it's a conferral of the family name, responsibility, obligation, as well as privilege. I love this part. Uh, it's not something that you can receive or get like a box of chocolates and run off and eat by yourself in a cave. It's not a new personal power that you can show off like rippling muscles. Uh, it's something that you become in a perf permanent relationship and fellowship with your Father in heaven. It returns families, that is, nations to his household, the kingdom of God, so that the nations will declare his glory. We're going to move on to uh, what is hope. And uh, it's just going to touch a bit on the next few scriptures in that passage. I just want to see where my time's at. Lost my time. Here we go. Um, hope. Dictionary, dictionary definition of hope. Uh, three things. It's a feeling of expectation and desire for a particular thing to happen. It's a person or a thing that might help or save you or save someone. And it's grounds for believing that something good may happen. Okay? So I want to, yeah, just in your own life, in a few seconds that I'll give you. Uh, think about things that you are hoping for at the moment. Just normal, everyday things. Think about them. But you're really hoping for them. Think about them. Um, let 
and there's a lot I can think of. It's very normal. It's very normal for us to hope for things. Um, the challenge is, what would happen or what would our reaction be if those, all those hopes were taken away or didn't come to pass? Okay? I do want to remind us, though, of Abraham again, because God had promised him a son. Um, Abraham was 75 when God promised that to him. He waited 24 years until he was 99. As the Bible says, as good as dead. Um, yeah, he waited a long time. <laughs> it must have been hard. It must have been hard. But what are the things we hope for? A lot of the times, the, the kind of the things that we hope for here in this life are linked to financial freedom, comfort, to get married, to have children. Health, security, to be happy. Very specifically to us here today, we hope this country will improve. We hope our future will be secure in this country. It's a very real thing. We are hoping that nowadays you can even look to the world and go, geez, I hope the world <laughs> will be okay in 10 years' time. I hope the world will be, you know, that my children will be okay in this world. Uh, I know when I look at my children, I hope for the best for them. I want you know, them to live in a safe place. Um, yeah, I think I'll touch on that just now. Just touching on a, on a popular book and author, uh, a man named Viktor Frankl. He wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. I don't know if anyone read that book. Very interesting book. Uh, if you're interested in apologetics... And uh, The Problem of Evil, it's a very great, very good book to read. Um, what he saw, so Viktor Frankl was, was in one of the concentration camps, or I think a few actually, in the Second World War, in one of the Nazi concentration camps. And he, as a psychologist, or a psychoanalyst, I can't remember what he was, but he monitored, he monitored the reaction of people to losing hope. The scariest thing is, um, we're going to get to the, his quote now. Um, two responses to losing hope. Two main responses. The one was that people would give up on life. Like those people would actually literally crawl up and they would actually die in the end because they've just given up. Um, and the other group was they would violently lash out. Um, two very scary responses. He kind of saw that only the people who had an external hope who had a loved one or loved ones outside, those are the ones that survived uh, or had the greatest uh, chance of survival. The guys who had something outside that were, they were hoping for, or God, he also brings God into it. Um, he himself is, is actually a, uh, a Jew, but he's a secular Jew, he wasn't practicing. Um, yeah, just this, this quote of his, or, or just an extract from the book. I'm not going to read all of it. I'll skip a bit. But what's amazing is a thought transfixed me. For the first time in my life, I saw the truth as it was set into song by so many poets, proclaimed as the final wisdom by so many thinkers, the truth that love is the ultimate and highest goal to which man can aspire. Then I grasped the meaning of the greatest secret that human poetry and human thought and belief have to impart, that salvation of man is through love and in love. 
Um, I understand how man who has nothing left in this world may know bliss, be it even for a brief moment in the contemplation of his beloved. For the first time in my life, I'm skipping a bit, I was able to understand the meaning of the words, the angels are lost in perpetual contemplation of an infinite glory. It's an amazing uh, yeah, little nugget that he's dropped at the end. I think, I think he's referring to Isaiah 6, where the angels are surrounding the throne and they're singing, holy, holy, holy. And they just, there's just this greatness. Um, and we'll speak about this a bit now. So I'm going to move on to kind of putting two hopes against each other. The one will be uncertain hope, and the one will be certain hope. Okay? Hope is taken in the Bible to refer to salvation through Christ or to Christ himself. Uh, This word, so it's actually funny, but hope in our English language is very much... uh, linked to uncertainty rather than certainty. In most cases, when you use the word, you're saying something like, geez, I hope it doesn't rain today. I hope the springboks don't lose again. Um, I hope the rand strengthens because it's really bad at the moment. So there's always like an uncertainty in that. Um, Think about it when you use the word. Now, completely on the other end, when the word, and the Greek word is alpis, um, when this word hope is used, especially in Hebrews 6, it describes a settled certainty combined with a confident expectation based upon the promises of God. Hope or certain hope looks, well, hope looks with certainty towards the future God has promised his people. But at the same time, it looks back to the Christ event. So hope speaks very much, um, well, the gospel is a vehicle for hope. What I love about the scripture, again, coming back to it, um, is the double assurance that God is giving here. Like I said, he gave an oath. Um, What's funny in the scripture is it says, for men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is is for them an end of all dispute. Now, in the court of law today, this is still the rule. Uh, 4,000 years later, here we are. So an oath is the end of all dispute. Okay? Does God need to do this? I mean, who do they swear by in any case in the court of law? They put their hand in the Bible. Um, They swear by God. But God was really serious about getting a point across here. It says in Verse 17, thus God determining to show us more abundantly. Doesn't that sound a bit strange and over the top? Isn't abundantly already enough? It says more abundantly to the heirs of the promise. And who are the heirs of the promise? We are all the heirs heirs of the promise. The nations are the heirs of the promise, by the way. Every nation on on this earth is an heir of the promise. The immutability of his counsel. In other translations it says the unchangeableness of his saving purpose. That purpose there is his saving purpose. So he had an idea in his mind. Confirmed it with an oath. And uh, that by these two immutable things, his promise and the oath, 
it is in, in which it is impossible for God to lie. Here's the key. We might have a strong consolation or encouragement. Okay? We who have fled away from a lot of things, too laid hold of the hope set before us. So there's a double assurance. In a way, God is going, guys, this, this is certain. In a world of uncertainty, in a world of shifting sand and, and, and wild seas, this is certain. You can build on my certain hope, on this promise. Um, it's a huge extent that God goes to, to just show us his faithfulness. I just love, um, I don't know if anyone's reading or read the Passion Translation. I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> Very passionate. Um, one of the scriptures that we're going to get to now just says, well, it's the one we've just read, fled for refuge and lay hold of the hope. In the Passion Translation, it says, now we have run into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. This is where we find his strength and comfort, for he empowers us to seize what has already been established ahead of time and unshakable hope. And we're going to move more and more into that now, unshakable hope. How hope works, it's application. Just touching on the last uh, stretch of this verse, uh, verses 18 to 20. Incredible section. We've just touched on the fled from re- for refuge. Verse 19 says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, Jesus having become the high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. There's a lot in there. A lot, a lot, a lot happening there. Great scripture. I've been blown away by this scripture for many years. It's because it's a picture. It's such a beautiful picture. I love pictures. Um, it's a lovely illustration and allegory of, of this anchor. What is this? You know, uh, what's amazing to know, not much has changed, but... In this day, when this author was writing um, to the Hebrews, a very big shipping community, Mediterranean, was obviously full of activity, uh, transporting, people going on holiday. So ships and fishing boats and everything was very much in their minds. They understood that. Um, but what's amazing here is that there's no doubt in the author's mind about the character of this encouragement in the previous scripture, in, in, in verse 18, it says that we might have a strong encouragement. Um, he's speaking about a seizure of hope. The idea of a seizure implies that we take hold of and we grasp in a resolute manner, we grasp this hope. Okay? Um, hope is not of such a character that it... Hope is of such a character that it needs tenacity to retain it. It does not simply happen. I know in my own life, like, you can have hope, and we'll speak about, we're going to really drill down on what is this certain hope. Um, but I know in many times of my life, you've got to re- remind yourself, you've got to preach to yourself, uh, and tell yourself, hope in God. You know, very often. It's probably a good thing that we can do every morning. But this hope, this certain hope, um, is an objective reality to be seized, 
but it's also a subjective reality to be personally experienced. Okay? Now, there's the, the, the kind of allegory around the anchor. An anchor kind of depicts safety, depicts security. Why it's so powerful is because, in a way, let's say the boat's on the water, storms, storms brewing overhead, the anchor's going through the uncertain, which is the water. Water looks solid from the outside. Sometimes it looks crazy. But uh, if you try and grab it, your hand will just go straight through it. It's a beautiful allegory of, uh, of uncertainty. And many times we want to take our anchor and put it onto something uncertain. We spoke just now about what are we hoping for? What do we hope for in our lives? Not a bad thing. It's normal. We do it every day. We all hope for things. But if we put our anchor, if we put our certain hope on something that is uncertain, like water in this allegory, we're going to be disappointed. We're going to be hurt. It's, it's just going to happen. It's, it's because it's uncertain. We can't build certainty on top of it. Um, I was thinking earlier about a song that we sang when I was in Sunday school many, many years ago. Um, I don't know if anyone remembers Salty. Yes. Yeah, some people. Wow. The English people know Salty. <laughs> um, I love that song. Uh, don't build your house on the sandy land. Don't build too near to the shore. Well, it might be kind of nice, but you'll have to build it twice. Oh, you'll have to build your house once more. I'm not going to sing it for you. <laughs> Lauren's going to sing it to you. You better build your house upon the rock. Make a good foundation on the solid ground, the solid spot. Oh, the storms may come and go, but the peace of God you will know. And then it's, I, didn't, I missed this part, but there's a hymn that says, Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. I think you can take those words and just meditate on them for a week. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. So the, the anchor is going through the uncertain and attaching to the certain. Attaching to the rock. That's where it's going to hold. That's where it's going to hold. Jesus came, the gospel, Jesus came for us, laid down his life. He was the lamb. Abraham said to his son, God will provide a lamb. Jesus came. He was the lamb. Jehovah Jireh, God the provider. God provided his son, provided his only son, the lamb, to be slain for us. Also, I just see, so Jesus laid down his life. He died, he rose again, he ascended to heaven. I Almost in my spirit, in my mind's eye, I, I see Jesus taking with him this lifeline into heaven. And at this moment, this hope, this certain hope, is this lifeline into eternity. This lifeline into into heaven and it, it pretty much alludes to the last little bit of the scripture which is super powerful um, just another story that I thought of and I'm, I love music, I love worship um, there's a lot of hymns written around this scripture 
We sang one this morning, well, we sang a, a modern-day version, Cornerstone, based on a very old hymn, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. It's an incredible hymn. There's many hymns like it. Uh, there's another hymn, incredible hymn, called uh, It Is Well With My Soul. And I know Bethel's made it very popular, but it goes back about two, two three hundred years before Bethel. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy story um, of a man who was a hymnist. So he actually wrote hymns for a living. He, yeah, it's actually a very, it's a crazy story. But I wanted to tell this story because it also illustrates uncertainty, even in personal matters, okay? So this guy, can't remember his name. I did print it out. I don't think I have it here. Sorry. Go search it. His life was dramatically affected in many ways. So they were Christians, but uh, a big fire happened in Chicago and burnt down his building that his business was in. He pretty much lost his business. Um, there was a Great Depression in America in that time. It actually wasn't that long ago. It was like the 1870s around there. Because of the Depression, his wife and four daughters took the boat over to England. Uh, this boat sunk in the middle of the sea. His four daughters died in this, boat, in this accident. His wife survived, and which is now a famous telegraph. His wife wrote to him from England, saved alone. And uh, this man climbed on a boat, and, uh, and he traveled over to England to go visit, to go see his wife. And uh, he wrote... It is well with my soul. Um, I'm trying to think of the lyrics. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. How can he sing that? I've got two children. I hope, like I said, for everything good in their lives. I have to face the fact that every hope that I have, even for them, is uncertain. It's a very scary thought. Every hope that I have for this country to improve is uncertain. We don't know. I'm sorry. But this is good for us to hear this. These hopes are uncertain. There have been horrible times in history. We can't think that we are special and that horrible times won't come to us. And it's, it's, a, it's a very scary thing. But I, what I'm trying to illustrate is there's a certain hope that does not change. There's a certain future that is absolutely set in stone. It's set in stone. It will never change. We have a future. And many times, I know, because we live here... And it's, a, and it's a, lot of, a lot of the times a great place to be. We really enjoy life. I enjoy life. Um, but we forget where we're going. We forget that there's an eternity. When I was pondering on this and thinking about this, like the certain hope, I, I don't think you can think about it enough because it affects you in every way and it affects everyone in every way. 
If you think about certain hope and the certain hope of eternity and what Christ has done, it will affect your day tomorrow because you've got a certain hope. Um, it'll, it can affect anyone anywhere in the world, even in dire situations, even in very remote rural places where there's no, seemingly no hope of a better life in this world. I'm not saying, I mean, I wish for every person a better life in this world. I really do. But think about it. This certain hope speaks to everyone, gives us all hope, and can give us boundless joy in the hardest of times because Jesus is the forerunner. Jesus is the pioneer. The last bit of the scripture says, where Jesus has entered for us. So it says this hope is it enters the presence behind the veil. First of all, I love that word, the presence. It sounds so majestic. It enters the presence behind the veil. Um, most of us know... Uh, sorry, I'm just getting back to my time. Most of us know the story of the temple, the tabernacle of Moses that was set up in the different sections in the most holy place. And the curtain that was separating the people from the most holy place. And once a year, the high priest would go in. Uh, what I kind of loved, and I've got a funny sense of humor that you might find out later. But um, the, the high priest had bells, like pomegranates, I think, bells, around his dress that he was wearing. Yes, he was wearing a dress. Um, I'm not going to wear a dress. So. Um, but he had bells, and he had a rope around his leg. And that was only because... It was the presence of God. There was a very, <laughs> very real possibility that he would die in the presence of God. And if he died, they would hear the bells stop ringing and they would drag him out with the rope. Okay, so this is, go read it. It's in scripture. Um, there's a beautiful song just reminding me now. One of my favorite bands of all time, Delirious, Martin Smith and Delirious. He wrote a song, and, a, and one of the words, one of the lyrics is, Untie the rope, I'm staying with him. And a powerful, powerful lyric, uh, how we should all respond nowadays. Untie the rope, I'm done. I want to stay inside the Holy of Holies. I want to stay with God. And, and what's amazing, and we don't think about this often enough, is what Jesus has done for us as the high priest for us. Okay, He's our pioneer. He's gone ahead of us because... He's, he's leading us. We're not staying here. He's leading us into the future, which is huge and mind-blowing and just, we cannot fathom it, but let's think about it because it will just change our lives if we think about it. He's leading us as the forerunner. He's leading us as a pioneer into the future. He's standing in the presence of God as the high priest forever. Okay? It says, according to the order of Melchizedek, who the heck is Melchizedek? <laughs> Who's Melchizedek? Okay. So he's mentioned in, in also in Abraham's story as the king of Salem. Uh, just reading a little bit of, con, uh, of commentaries and the like. He's a very mystical figure. Some people think he might have been a, like kind of Christ in the Old Testament. Um, some people, some strange people think he's, he like was a different person and he's now somewhere and he's a high priest forever, blah, blah, blah. But 
the order of the high priests in, in the Jewish culture and Jewish religion was the order of Aaron. He was the high, well, first high priest, and that was the order of the high priests. It says here that Jesus was the high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. It's a different order, okay? Melchizedek was a royal priest. Jesus is a royal priest. Get ready for your minds to be blown. Jesus was a king, or is a king. Now, in most kingdoms, even today, the subjects serve the king. Jesus was a king who served his subjects. Jesus is a high priest of a different order, because the high priest would once a year bring an offering and lay it down on the altar, or sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. Jesus became the offering. Jesus became He's the high priest, but he's also the offering. He became the lamb. Secure hope. Certain hope. So he's high priest of a different order. He's standing in God's presence, in his Father's presence, representing us today. He's standing and he's interceding for us. He's just representing us always and forever as high priest. That is our certain hope. It cannot change. People can argue with you. It's done. It's done and it will forever be done. He's done it. It is finished. It's amazing. That's, that, that word, that, that, well, those words that Jesus spoke, it is finished. It is finished. And the curtain in the temple was torn in two. Incredible. Incredible. The veil, or behind the veil, also speaks about beyond the veil of death. Yeah, he's broken that. He's broken the power of death. Incredible. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm pretty much finished. Just last thing for me, uh, or for all of us, well, just thinking now, my, my dad, he's in his 70s now, he's had a few health issues. I went to see him uh, about a month ago, he'd just been in ICU for about a week, had a horrible experience there, um, but there was a softness in him that I've never seen in my life before, and uh and he said to me, and he's never said this before in his life, but he said he's under Jesus now. And, um, and he's, he's always been a Christian, but it's almost like he's just in his last days, or, you know, we trust he'll be alive for long, much longer. But uh, he's seeing Jesus more clearly. He's seeing the hope, the certain hope that we have in Christ more clearly. Every other hope that we have in this world, be them good, even if they're so personal and... You know, they're very important, even if we feel God has said something to us. I'm sorry that I have to say this today, but it is an uncertain hope. Because there's one certain hope, and that is that Jesus has died. Jesus is our forerunner, and he's got ahead of us, and he's established a secure hope in heaven that will never change. 
How does that hope affect me today? I know this is my question. I was going through this message, and obviously, this is the Word speaking to us, so I'm going to the Word and going to God and going, how does this affect me today? You know, cool, you're telling me about this eternal hope in heaven, but what about tomorrow when I go to work, when I have that problem, customer or client or colleague? Um, There's a few things that it does. In Hebrews 6 verse 11, it says, that we must show the same diligence. So there's the strong encouragement, as it says. Another thing I love about the strong consolation is it also speaks about the Holy Spirit. The paraclesis is the Greek word. Um, the, the Holy Spirit is known as the paraclete, so the encourager, the comfort. Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit in John 15, between 7 and John 15. Um, and speaks about the Holy Spirit as the encourager. So the Holy Spirit comes alongside us and he helps us to show the same diligence to the very end. You can read uh, Hebrews 6 verse 11, uh, Hebrews 3 verse 13, to resist sin. So we are here on this earth and we are struggling with sin, but we are told and, and we are being helped to resist it. Again, I was thinking about sin yesterday. I was not sitting, but I was thinking about sin. <laughs> um, we have a certain hope. We have a certain hope. Okay, it's certain. I can't say it any more than that. Um, sin holds us back. It wastes our time. It destroys lives around us. We have a hope. We don't need sin. We really don't. Um, in Hebrews 10 verse 24, it says, Spur one another on to good deeds. So these are things we can do every day now. I love this scripture in the Passion Version. It says, discover creative ways to encourage others and to motivate them towards acts of compassion, doing beautiful works as an expression of love. Really cool. And to accept the Lord's discipline is the fourth thing. Um, Again, I just love the way the Passion says it. My child, don't underestimate the value of the discipline of the training of the Lord or get depressed when he has corrected you. Okay? (laughs) Don't get depressed when the Lord has corrected you. Great scripture. Um, okay, I'm going to finish now, but I'd love to just kind of end just again answering, asking the question, but, you know, eternity, uh, what, how does it affect me today? There's a body of believers in Hebrews 11, wonderful, wonderful passage called the Hall of Faith. Um, all the famous people in the Bible are mentioned or that did great things for God. There's a scripture in there, in Hebrews 11.33, that says, Through faith's power they conquered kingdoms, and they established true justice. These are guys that have a hope. These guys knew eternal hope. They knew certain hope. But they were getting their hands dirty here in this world. They established true justice. There's a lot of work for us to do here. But I want to do it knowing my certain hope. I want to know it with my certain hope. My last thing that I want to mention is Hebrews 11.35. There's two verses that play off against each other because they're so different. The one is, faithful woman saw their dead children raised in resurrection power. Wow. That's insane. These are people. So faith brings our hope into reality that's Hebrews 11 verse 1 straight from the Bible faith brings our hope our certain hope into reality now okay 
faithful women saw dead children raised in resurrection power. I promise you the very next verse says, Yet it was faith that enabled others to endure great atrocities. That is, blows my mind. It goes on to say they lost everything they possessed. They endured great afflictions. They were cruelly mistreated. And it says, truly the world was not even worthy of them. Not realizing who they were. And these are the saints of old. Yet they lived, these, this body of people, and I almost want to say this is my hope for us. They lived in a certain hope without receiving the fullness of what was promised them. Okay? We're all going to be, and I trust we will, we all will be one day together in heaven. We don't know what that's going to be like. We have ideas. Just know that it's going to be amazing times a million. Um, what I love is it says, but now God has invited us to live in something better than what they had, faith's fullness. This is so that they could be brought to finish perfection alongside us. I, I really believe that that scripture is just saying that when the, the curtain gets, you know, when the, this all gets wrapped up right here, um, we're going to be together with all the saints of all the centuries. And we're going to be beholding God together. There's going to be a perfection. There's going to be a fullness that we won't see until that day. But in the, in the light of that, in the tension of that, while we wait, there's work to be done and, and there's encouraging to be done with each other. There's, there's life to be tackled and there's other people to be invited into that same hope. All right, let's all stand together. Let's just close our eyes. I just want to invite anyone this morning if you've never put your hope in Jesus if you've never known or seen or experienced that, that He is our hope He is the hope that goes beyond the veil He is our hope forever our high priest forever if you've never put your hope in Jesus Christ your, your, your proper hope then, uh, and you, yeah, I, I just want to invite you to do that this morning. If there's anyone here, you can just pop up your hand if you want to do that, just so I can see you, pray with you. Then, uh, one thing that I want us all just to agree on, because I think it affects us all is we're just going to, I'm just going to pray for us. We're just going to take all the uncertain hopes in our lives and we're going to submit it under the one certain hope. Okay, we've all got uncertain hopes. We've all got hopes, normal hopes in our lives. I'm going to pray for us because I believe it's all of us. I believe it's normal to live day to day hopeful for things. We're going to take it now. We're going to put it under the feet of Jesus. And we're going to submit our hearts, our minds under that certain hope that He is forever for us. Let's pray together. Lord.
I just thank you, Lord, just for your good news, just for your amazing word. Thank you, God, for eternity that is beckoning, God, and that is speaking to us today, God. Thank you, Lord, that there's certain hope, Lord, that we can seize. And right now, Jesus, I want to just say, Lord, that we seize that hope with everything we have, God. We run, God, to you, Lord. We embrace that certain hope right now, God. God, we need to do it every day, I know. But God, today we run to you and we thank you for certain hope. We thank you for a hope that does not disappoint, a hope that is fixed. We thank you, Lord. We submit every hope in our lives under that, God. We give you every hope we have, Lord. Rational hopes, we give them to you. We submit them under you, under our certain hope. We open our eyes. Thank you, God, for opening our eyes to see you as our certain hope, God. We love you, Lord. Thank you for joy unspeakable in the light of this hope. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.jobberg.